Thank you for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson, produced by Surefire Local. Over 50,000 people have listened to Mark's podcast series specifically for home improvement businesses. You can subscribe to this podcast on any mobile phone using iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that is really designed to help you take your business to the next level. I try to take, you know, different topics that I think are relevant and thought-provoking. I bring on thought leaders and folks that, you know, are tapped into the industry and can share some insights to kind of help you make sense out of this jigsaw puzzle called the remodeling industry and remodeling business. You know, I think the more time that you're focused on sitting back and looking at these puzzle pieces, the more likely you're going to make the right decisions and certainly move forward. I encourage you as you listen, uh, certainly give me any feedback that's always valuable, but also You know, I would encourage subscribing to this podcast. It's a very, very easy uh, exercise. Uh, You can actually receive uh, free a copy of this podcast every two weeks if you have an app that is a podcast app. Uh, And as a result of this, you know, you have, whether you're driving along or getting up in the morning or sitting at your computer, you have access to you know, some little tidbits that'll keep you, I think, thinking, not just doing the remodeling business. You know, today I'm going to talk about a topic that I think is, again, a little bit more of a thousand foot kind of thought provoking topic, but it's one of these that I think I'm seeing out there. uh, It's especially important. And that is, you know, the whole question of, you know, what is your risk? In business? What is your tolerance for risk? How do you think about risk and integrate it into your day to day decisions? You know, the whole issue of risk, you know, risk is not something that's static. It, it constantly adjusts and changes based on, you know, the economy and market conditions and the, the nature internally of the operation itself. And it also changes based on the maturity of the business. But what a lot of people don't really also appreciate is risk is also relative to your risk tolerance. You know, if you tend to be a high risk kind of person, you know, you're going to make certain decisions, but you've got to make those decisions in a way that is, you know, going to make sure that you don't necessarily put the business at risk. Similarly, I think on the other end of the spectrum, there's many people out there that are very, very low risk. They're very conservative in terms of how they think about risk. And as a result of that, oftentimes they'll fall kind of behind, you know, when it comes to making the right decisions. You know, uh, someone said to me many, many years ago, you know, it's important to be in the wave as opposed to ahead of the wave or behind the wave. And if you kind of think about that metaphor as it relates to certainly uh, going to the seashore, you know, being in the wave gives you that momentum. It Yes, it's going to, you know, certainly propel and move you forward, but it's also 
you know, being ahead of the wave, it can crash down on top of you and it can hurt you. Or being behind the wave, you can fall short. So making the right decisions, understanding kind of the levels of risk, I think will help you do that. So, you know, I think you need to ask yourself a lot of questions uh, as it relates, quite frankly, to you in the first place. Because you know, as I'm working and coaching different remodeling leaders, you know, I try to understand them first, and then the remodeling business is oftentimes a reflection of them. So when it comes to risk in terms of new ideas, you know, do you really find joy in just experimentations? Uh, are you kind of looking at the glass half full when they fail, as opposed to feeling sad about it? Uh, are you fulfilled and energized just by trying new things? You know, how much time uh, do you really have to recover if something doesn't work out? Uh, can you financially afford certain risks? You know, I think new ideas and, and things, they have financial implications. And, you know, I think also there's, you know, what's the best time to take more risks? I, you know, I oftentimes advise when the business is healthiest <clears throat> and the most fit, it's generally the best time to take risk in business. So kind of wearing my coach and advisor hat, uh, let, me, let me give you a few kind of tips and advice when it comes to risk. Uh, the first is it's important to try to balance the emotional side of, of an idea or whether you should dive into something and the logical side. And the only way you're going to have the logical side is by spending a little bit of time gathering data. And with this data, it can kind of keep in balance and help you make decisions. And I work with some people that, quite frankly, get so enamored about an idea, they have, you know, kind of knee-jerk reaction. They don't necessarily think through kind of the rational elements of, of different kinds of things. I think another element when it comes to risk is, you know, if something is not proven, it may seem like it's a good idea, but if it's not proven, if you don't have a track record, if you haven't done it, if you haven't had lessons learned from it, it probably is more risky than something that has been done. So as you think about these new ideas, you know, when you're setting up, I think, new products or divisions within your company, you know, be super conservative when it comes to things that haven't been tested. They're much more risky. And I think if you do that, and in fact you fall a little bit short, you know, you're, you're going to be more realistic about it. Um, number three is, you know, try to leverage when it comes to risk, especially when it comes to people, all the different data out there. For example, some of the profiling systems as it relates to developing the right people. You know, at the Extreme Sales Summit in Chicago, we have an expert talking about profiling. And profiling, I think, not only helps you just in general in terms of understanding whether something's going to be successful, but especially when it comes to your team, by profiling individual salespeople, for example, it's not so much about who's going to be successful, it's about reducing your risk of who's not going to be. And with the churn and turnover and those kind of things and the cost of the human capital in business today, you know, that's another way to reduce or adjust your risk. Another thing is, you know, I oftentimes work with companies who either open satellite offices or have new divisions, those kind of things. And 
my kind of general rule of thumb is that number one, when it comes to new satellite office, it's generally about three times harder than the home base or the home office. So the point simply is, if something is that much harder, are you prepared or have you positioned yourself to really do the hard work that's required in a satellite office? Uh, it oftentimes is miscommunication. It oftentimes is uh, a leadership challenge. But I think the more that you can focus on uh, making sure that you reduce your risk by trying different things, I think, would be successful. Uh, number five tip is plan it. You know, when you're doing a remodeling project, you create a plan, and then you go and you execute the plan. Well, when it comes, I think, to ideas and initiatives and different kind of things in your business, you need the same kind of methodology. You wouldn't just go ahead and willy-nilly dive into things without putting together a proper plan. Proper plan takes into account the cost, takes into account the step-by-step -step elements of it, takes into account the time frames, and also looks at all the other balls that you're juggling and says, okay, now where am I going to get the bandwidth to do this? So plan it and then execute. Don't just execute. Uh, number six uh, kind of relates to number five a little bit, and that is you know, don't forget about all the other things that you've got going on. My general kind of rule of thumb is that if you take on additional risk or additional initiatives, those kind of things, uh, if you're already already busy, then you probably are going to move yourself to overwhelm, which, quite frankly, if you can handle that bandwidth, that's okay. Or if you're already overwhelmed, then the rubber band is going to snap. So you probably want to you know, put off or rethink kind of how you approach kind of the levels of risk if in fact you're already or the team or the level of stress is already very, very high. And then lastly, you know, I think it's important when it comes to risk to think about pacing yourself. Uh, pacing yourself uh, is, 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 is critical. So if, for example, you envision that something's going to take you know, one, two, three months to get out of the ground. Well, you know, maybe pace yourself. Maybe think about it in four to six months and then have the steps going back. Now, I know all these things kind of fit together in kind of an interesting way. But, you know, I think the summary of this topic for you is, number one, understand risk. Understand we're not all the same in terms of our risk tolerance, i.e., including your partner, including your team member. But then... You need to be, I think, as a leader, integrating risk into your decision process if, in fact, you're going to be successful. So, again, I want to thank, you know, my uh, sponsors and certainly my supporters of this, NERI, National Association of the Remodeling Industry, as well as uh, Professional Remodeler, and certainly this is produced by Surefire Local, a leading digital marketing. And, you know, Surefire has been very generous, certainly, in bringing this to you. But also, if you want access to any of my materials or books, uh, they are happy to provide those for you. So I encourage you to, you know, get connected to them and, and certainly request those things. So, you know, stay tuned. We have a great uh, thought leader discussion coming up here shortly, and I look forward to speaking to you soon. I want to thank everybody for listening to Remodeling Mastery. But just as much, I want to thank those that support this particular series. 
Now, first and foremost, I want to encourage you not just to listen, but to subscribe. And for those people that subscribe to this podcast or actually reach out to my producers, Surefire, a leading digital marketing organization, you'll actually receive a copy of one of my books that will help you take your business to the next level. This podcast series is actually supported by Professional Remodeler. Professional Remodeler is committed to help you understand and crack the code on your business. So I encourage you to try to spend the time reading the magazine and reach out to them and be a little bit more of a voice in the industry. I also encourage you to get involved, get engaged. The National Association of Remodeling Industry, NERI, is a wonderful organization that I've been involved with with most of my career and actually had so many opportunities as a result of that. And lastly, certainly, reach out to my friends at Surefire Local that will be able to help you with your business. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Mark Richardson. And this next segment that we're excited about is an interview. It's an interview of one of our remodeling thought leaders, uh, someone that I've gotten to know over the last few years and have a tremendous amount of respect for. Uh, he also comes from a market that is not necessarily at least kind of perceived as one of the top major markets, but he's been able to grow a very substantial business. His name is Eric Mankiewicz, and he is the president and CEO of a company called Huff & Puff. Huff & Puff uh, has two primary products that they're focused on. One is window replacement as well as uh, gutter work. And uh, they've grown the business to over $20 million in revenue, which is fantastic. And I'm sure many of the folks out there listening to this are uh, interested not only in terms of you know, how he's been able to do it and the focus that Eric has had, but also the scale that he's been able to grow the business. So welcome, Eric, and uh, I, I look forward to having a nice conversation. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about, uh, at a kind of maybe a little bit more personal level, Huff and Puff. I mean, that's certainly, we, we cut its kind of image <laughs> of a dragon or something, but it's certainly not a typical window and gutter type of company name. Help us understand where did that come from? Yeah, no, it's not. And uh, you'll have no idea how many times I get that question. So yeah, um, Huff and Puff. You know, we're a, we're a uh, we started as an insulation company. So the the company was started back in 1973 uh, by my parents Ed and Ruth Minkowitz, and uh, we started doing blown-in insulation, which is where the name Huff and Puff came from. So it's kind of a, a cute name, and it, it was definitely specific to that product insulation. Um, and my parents, you know, grew the business during the 70s. It was a small business, and um, you know, did primarily insulation through the 70s, uh, through the energy crisis. Um, but as the business evolved through the 80s and 90s, you know, they built up a considerable customer base, as a lot of home remodelers do. And these customers would come back to them and say, hey, listen, you did a, such a great job for us on the insulation. Can you help us with a new roof, you know, new windows, new siding, a deck? Uh, so they, they kind of branched out into different home remodeling projects, uh, products. And you know, the, the business more or less expanded into different disciplines uh, until I got involved in, in 2001. And then we, you know, we implemented some additional changes. But uh, to answer your question, the Huff and Puff name came from Blown-In Insulation, which was our original core product. 
that we've kind of evolved out of. Excellent. So you began with the business in 2001. Obviously, it sounds like you, you grew up in home improvement, so it's not like you were new to this in 2001. But, uh, you know, what, what are your roots? Are your roots from another industry, or did you just dive right into the business, you know, right out of, right out of school? Yeah, no. So I grew up in the business, and my my uh, the business as I grew up was more of a I think more of a general contracting type of business. I was all, always involved in the labor side of the business, so I was always installing uh, one of our products, uh, doing hands-on work on the job sites. So um, you know, and I and I did that through college, uh, I, and I also got an MBA after college, um, and you know, I continued to work in the business all that time, uh, and then after I. Uh, after I graduated, I went to work, uh, working in New York City. I had a career in banking, and then I started a software company during the, the dot-com boom of 1999. Um, so that's kind of my roots. That's where I, I started. It wasn't really, you know, it was in this industry as a kid, uh, but my, my business background came more from banking and software. Excellent. So turning the clock forward, because obviously I think many of our listeners are kind of sitting wondering kind of how you integrated yourself into the business in 2001, what was your involvement versus your parents' involvement. Continue the, the Eric story. Sure. So, uh, you know, my, my parents were, were um, getting to the point where they were looking to retire, um, and, you know, there were some, some um, health concerns around my father's health. So, my wife and I at the time moved back uh, to the Albany area and, you know, I took a hard look at this business and, you know, some of the things that the business was involved in. I looked at the, the, the product lines and I, and I got involved in the business. Um, at the time it was small. It was doing under a million in revenue. I think we had around 10 employees and um, I really enjoyed the business. You know, I was, again, working in banking and software. I was used to doing business on a business-to-business level, and it was very kind of a, a cold, kind of sterile you know, environment working in these environments, whereas this was very hands-on, and you could see the fruits of your labor, if you will, uh, you know, dealing directly with homeowners and being able to, to delight homeowners and, and do great work for them and have people being so thrilled at the end of the day with the, with the work that we had done for them. So um, it was something I got excited about. And at the time, I, I had uh, gotten involved with, you know, shortly after I, I moved back, I got involved with a dealer network for one of the products that we had sold. Um, and I got really excited about really the sales and the marketing side of the business and, and the lead generation, um, you know, and, and I saw the potential of what this business could do, you know, from, I guess, looking at it from more of a sales and marketing perspective, whereas in the past, I looked at it more from a from an installation side. So that's really got, what got me fired up about this business. And, um, you know, from then I, I employed some key, you know, I guess disciplines in the business that really helped me grow it over the next, you know, 15 to 17 years, which brings me to today. Right. So, so talk to us a little bit about your focus because like many, and it sounds like your parents uh, you know, we're doing all sorts of projects, uh, kind of a very wide-angle lens, so to speak. But by doing all sorts of projects, it also limited possibly their ability to really scale and grow this, where you've been able to 
put kind of a laser focus on you know, windows and gutters, and you've kind of seen this business kind of supersize itself. So talk to us a little bit about that difference, because you obviously experienced that with your parents, or at least one kind of genre with your parents, whereas you came in with, you know, your discipline to put a laser and really push, push up particular products. Sure. So, you know, when I first started with this business, the first thing that I did is I, I analyzed the business and looked at some of the, you know, the, the higher potential growth areas that I saw based on you know, the products that we were selling, um, you know, the potential in each of our markets, and then also, you know, the ability to, to complete jobs in a timely fashion, you know, get paid. Obviously, that's an important part of the business. And, um, you know, and be able to scale those. And, you know, an important part of that analysis was looking at the labor and looking at installation and installers and, and you know, people that were actually going to do the hands-on work. It was very hard to find people across disciplines that could do insulation work, uh, windows and doors, gutters, siding, roofing, decks. It, it was a lot. You know, it was a lot to do for a small amount of volume. So really the first decision that I had made was to focus on some key areas. You know, so we focused, we decided to focus initially on the gutter business, the window and door business, and the insulation business. And those three businesses, uh, we decided to put, you know, our entire focus on and, and eliminate everything else from the business, which was kind of a big deal. You know, looking back, growing from, you know, under a million to 20 million, you know, you say, well, you know, that's, that's good growth and, you know, and everything seems easy in hindsight. But at the time, you know, when you have six different revenue streams and you decide to cut half of them, you know, that it's, it's a little bit gut-wrenching. So that's what we did. Um, but, but in devoting the focus to those three product lines, we, we devoted focus to uh, developing, you know, salespeople that were experts in those areas uh, developing, you know, processes around how to generate leads in those areas, uh, how to sell those leads, and then, you know, most importantly, how to deliver the the homeowner experience, a great homeowner experience to our, our customers um, in those areas. And we were able to do that because we were able to get installers who came from disciplines, um, you know, that we focused on, but then also develop our installation process and our homeowner satisfaction process around you know, specific um, disciplines, which, um, you know, pay dividends because we, you know, today we have great homeowner satisfaction ratings and that, you know, goes back to 20 years ago when we laid the groundwork for this. You know, one of the interesting things is I'm listening, Eric, and kind of reflecting and I'm oftentimes asked why are businesses challenged or fail and I usually boil it down to three things and all three of these things are things that you happen to be, you know, really putting your 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 you know your eye on. One of them is focus. Second of them, the second is commitment, and the third is time and energy and capital uh, that's going to be going to take to be successful. So if if you had to kind of reflect on now that you've kind of moved to all these different altitudes here and continue to. Uh, what would you boil down and say some of the keys to uh, Eric and Huff and Puss success? Well, you know, I would, you know, you, you mentioned focus. I mean, fo I think focus is an important one. I think without that focus, 
to those key disciplines, you know, we wouldn't have been able to develop the expertise around the lead generation side, the you know, sales side, and then the delivering of the, of the product and the installation experience side um, as well as we've done over the years. So having that focus was key. And, and you know, those are tough decisions because when you do decide to focus, you also make the decision to cut out things that um, may be making you money you know, and maybe covering your overhead and paying the bills, but uh, you know, that you, you, don't determine, you don't determine them as essential to the business. So I think without that focus... Um, I don't think we would have grown to where we are today. Uh, You mentioned commitment. You know, I've been 100% committed to everything that we do from day one, and I believe our team is as well. Um, You know, we try to foster a winning environment here for our employees, our customers, and community. Uh, That's something that I'm committed to, and, you know, I have been from the beginning. Um, You know, without that commitment to our team, I don't think our team would be bought into you know, delivering an exceptional homeowner experience like they are today. Um, you know, and without the commitment to the, to the focus either, it becomes easy to, uh, I can't tell you how many, you know, great opportunities have come my way over the last, you know, 10, 15 years where the next latest and greatest product is out there that's going to deliver you, um, you know, X percent growth and, um, you know, additional profits and revenue. But, you know, when you look at it, and again, this blends commitment into time, energy, and capital. I've always looked at these new products that come in like, okay, well, I could take this product line on and I could add a level of complexity to my business, um, but what is it going to cost me in time, energy, and capital, right, to invest in this new business? Because it's not a one-for-one thing. Like, and, and I've always looked at it like if I invest another you know, 50% time, energy, and capital into an existing business that I have called the window and door business, I would have to invest maybe 150% time, energy, and capital in getting a new business started. Now, I know that math doesn't add up, but you get the point. It, to start a new business Absolutely. up is, 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 is incrementally more difficult. So I say to myself, if I could invest the same time, energy, and capital into one of my existing businesses, could I grow that by 15% next year? Could I, could I grow that by 50% next year or 100% next year? Right. So that's always the way I've looked at it. And you know, we've grown from, from zero to 20 million, and, you know, I see us being able to get to 40 or 50 million over the next five years. I don't, uh, with the existing products that we have, I don't necessarily think we need to bring out another product line. You know, it doesn't mean that we won't. Uh, it doesn't mean that, but, you know, there's, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I'm a believer in stick to what you're good at, uh, focus, time, and attention. I'm not sure if you've read the book, um, great by choice by Jim Collins, but you know one thing that he talks about is, you know, being disciplined in your uh, in your approach, and you know that's one thing that we we focus on is folk being disciplined in our approach, and not necessarily making quick fast decisions um, because something might be the hottest product out there. Uh, you know, it may be great in the short term, but in the long run, it, it may not be what delivers that growth. No, it's all all excellent advice, Eric, and. Uh, Let's talk a little bit. There must be a few skeletons in the closets or a few potholes or speed bumps that you've stepped in or crossed uh, in, in, in the last, you know, uh, almost 20 years that you've been involved in this. What, what would be, you know, one or two of those that you, you would uh, like to recognize and hopefully 
help others avoid? <laughs> well, I, I, I know there's a long list. One of, my, one of the things that I have, good or bad, is I have a short memory, so... My, I, 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 I tend to forget a lot of the. I tend to forget a lot of bad things, but um, you know that's part of I guess what keeps me moving forward. You know, I guess if I had to to think about that, you know, I can think of a couple of decisions that we've made where we've made, you know, really more or less fast decisions where we haven't been methodical in our decision making, and you know where we've really sat back and analyzed and said, what will the impact on the business be? I can think of. Uh, uh, one decision that we had made, there was a product innovation that came out. It was a, a hanging system, and, and it was, you know, not to get too technical into the details, but it was a, you know, far superior hanging system from a, from a product perspective. Um, and we just decided to go ahead and implement it, and we figured we'd pass the cost through to the homeowner because people would see that it's worth it and people would want a better product. Um, but what we didn't realize is it really significantly changed the dynamics of the sale in our price point within the marketplace. And it's not that we were selling an inferior product previously. It was we were selling what everybody else was selling. Um, but what we were, th- this new product innovation was kind of a, an outlier in terms of, you know, a, a real, I guess, high innovation type product. So um, by but by kind of moving, shifting to this product and this this product exclusively, we kind of took ourselves out of the the normal price point that we were accustomed to doing business with, doing business at, and it just changed the whole dynamics of the sale. I think it, it changed the dynamics of how our sales uh, design consultants presented the products. Uh, it affected the way that you know our homeowners, our customers responded to the price, and. It, you know, it was not a positive thing. And luckily, you know, it, it was probably a three-month three period before we decided to kind of roll things back and, and you know, restructure the, the way that we were offering the product, you know, and offer multiple choices in terms of this system. But it really taught me a lesson, that's you know. A great, yeah, that's a great, great uh, example of a lesson learned that you got to watch out. Even though you think something's going to be better, you, you know, maybe like to – test the water, put the toe in the water a little bit to see if, in fact, you get the recognition. To your point, not only from the client but from your team because, you know, when the sales confidence starts to wane a little bit, that's also, you know, contagious and problematic too, regardless of whether it, in fact, is a better product. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. And internally it, it can be tough because, you can get pushback sometimes, or you can roll things out, and you know your sales team, depending on how they perceive it, can be your biggest fans. You know they can, and and they can, you know they can be very supportive, which is good. You want a sales team that gets excited and energetic about products, but it may not be the best thing for the business. You know their their excitement. So, it, yeah, I mean, fast decisions and fast action are not always, I think, the best way to. To go about something, I think that methodical approach that we've always had—a very disciplined, focused approach—you um, know—that I think back to that. You know, that was probably 15 years ago, but I think back to that regularly when I'm, you know, thinking about making a decision quickly. I'm like, you know what? Let's put this through a process. And it's not that we make make decisions slow. I mean, we make, you know, we make, you know, thousands of decisions over the course of a day or a week that you know, are very impactful, important decisions and, you know, big financial decisions. But, you know, I think 
I think the, the decisions where you're talking about changing direction of an organization or a product mix or pricing, those are not things that we take lightly. No, it's a great example, and I think it's a good tip. So, Eric, what, what keeps you up at night? What keeps you, has you tossing and turning? Well, you know, I get paranoid about standing still. Uh, you know, complacency, <laughs> there you go. complacency is something that keeps me up at night. If I ever, if I ever think, uh, you know, that we're, we're not growing, and, and I don't mean just growing uh, dollar-wise. You know, we, we set goals, and, you know, we have uh, our values and our, and our long-term goals set out. I mean, our, our goal, you know, since, since um, I've took, taken over the company, we've doubled for every five-year period um, and, you know, for the last 17 years. So we've grown consistently. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to say that we take that for granted, because we, we, but we more or less bake that in every year that we're going to double over the next five-year period. Um, but when I talk about growth, I talk about growth of the organization. You know, are our people growing? You know, are we, and when I say our people, I'm not looking at our people like saying, why aren't you growing? I'm saying, are, are we as a leadership team within our company doing enough to give our people the opportunities and giving them the training and giving them the career paths that, that they want to continue to grow? Um, you know, are we growing as an organization? You know, are we doing more for the community? Are we a better partner to our, to our vendors and, and, you know, those that we have relationships with? So, you know, these are all ways that we look at growth within the company, not just myopically from a from a sales perspective or a dollars and cents perspective. It's are we growing? And you know, there's always ways. When I, when I look in the mirror, there's always ways that I can get better. And I look at it like, you know, the, the ways that I need to focus on to get better are the ways that I can lead the organization and be able to attract, you know, better talent to my company and also take the talent that we have within the company and develop our people so that they can become all that they can be. Well, and as I, I sit and listen to you, Eric, I, I hope at least that you share this, this uh, interview with not only members of your team but with others because I, I think for the listeners, what they're hearing is not only good tangible advice, but they're, they're quite frankly hearing a, a role model a role model that, you know, is not just caring about the bottom line. He's focused on, you know, obviously a world-class client experience, development of the team, and, and investing into them. And I, and I just think the qualities, Eric, that, that you represent are, are admirable not only in terms of what you've accomplished, but in, also in terms of where you're going. So, you know, in, in closing here, any kind of final advice for those businesses or business owners out there that are, you know, they might be one, two, three million dollar business that are, you know, yearning for more, yearning for that, you know, to your point, not standing still, but, you know, maybe they need, a, a, you know, a couple of tips so that, you know, the path is a little bit easier. Yeah, you know, of course, it, it, it helps to have a clear direction and a clearly defined path, you know, and an idea of where you want to go, because without that, you know, you, you really, you can end up anywhere and, and you don't know if you succeeded or failed. But, you know, once you have a path and an idea in place of where you want to go, I would say the single most important success uh, factor for me has been surrounding myself with the best people that I possibly can. And I mean that, you know, 
I talk about my employees. You know, I, I have, we, have tre- we have a tremendous team here. And, you know, our um, people, you know, constantly push me because, I, I, you know, we have a lot of people here who I believe are, are smarter and, and better in their disciplines than, than I could ever be or do a better job that I could ever do. Um, but then going beyond that, looking at different peer groups, you know, um, groups of, of industry groups, you know, whether it's within your, uh, your product discipline. You know, we do business under the, 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 the um, brand names of the, of the partners that we deal with, of the window and door partners and the, and the uh, gutter partner that we deal with, um, you know, because that's just the way that we've, we cho- chose to execute our strategy. But being involved with smart organizations, really, that's what we've, we've focused on. You know, the brands that we associate it with ourselves with, we feel are not only the best brands from a product perspective and also a customer experience perspective, but also the people that are part of the organizations, you know, surrounding ourselves with successful people in the business um, is a key driver. Um, and also peer groups, um, groups like that exist, uh, you know, in the organization, they call them, you know, think tank groups or mastermind groups or whatever have you, where a group of people from different parts of the country get together and share ideas because, you know, they're, they're in non-competitive environments, um, strategize, you know, I've, I've been very, very fortunate throughout my life and my career to, you know, have found my way into these successful groups of people where, you know, we can share like-minded ideas about business, how to grow, uh, and then also strategize, you know, specifically in our, in our business, in our industry, how to grow. So, you know, those are just some examples, um, you know, finding people that, you know, have similar goals and ambitions to, to what you want to do, and then also the same values, you know, because you can't, uh, you, you know, you, you have to, I think you have to be aligned with people in terms of values and, uh, you know, if you're going to be able to get along and if you're going to be able to trust and respect their, their advice or, or criticism that they give you. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's really, I think if I had to think about the one key success driver and piece of advice, I would say surround yourself with the best people that you possibly can and that, well, that's in every, in every relationship that you have. Right. I think that's excellent advice, and, and you're certainly evidence of, of not only that advice but kind of the fruits that, that come from that. So I, I want to thank uh, Eric Mankiewicz, uh, the president and CEO of Huff & Puff, out of the uh, uh, Albany area. Uh, if you want to reach out to Eric, if you have a question, or reach back to me, I'm sure either one of us would be happy to try to help you. And again, I want to thank those that support our podcast series, the National Association of the Remodeling Industry, as well as Professional Remodeler, and certainly our folks at Surefire who helped to produce this. So, again, I want to thank everybody for joining us today and look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks, Mark. If you liked what you've heard, take a moment to subscribe to Remodeling Mastery on your phone using your favorite podcast app. It's available on all the major apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Go ahead and post in the comments what you learned and any questions you have for Mark, and he may answer them on an upcoming episode. Thank you again for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson.